0: In 2017, I published a short book called Creep, A Life, A Theory, An Apology. In it, I interwove personal narrative and cultural analysis to explore what it means to be a creep. I drew on my own personal experiences growing up gay in the Deep South, where I was often made to feel that I was a creepy kid in the 1980s. But I also looked at examples from literature and popular film and media, to see how people who are identified as creeps are often viewed, sometimes with horror and sometimes with sympathy. After all, who among us hasn't felt a bit creepy at times? This podcast draws from stories and examples in my original book. In these episodes, we will explore different aspects of what it means to be creepy. A warning, don't be surprised if you're listening to this podcast. While for many of us, the specter of the creep can be threatening, can also be a bit exciting. Exciting, perhaps, in the possibility of threat. Yes, we get creeped out, but we are also fascinated by creeps. Perhaps in part because we all sense the potential inside ourselves to be creepy. Part 7 I was identified early in life as a creep. Now I'm trying to figure out how to survive as one. Damage shapes the mind. My perceptions craft my paranoid experience of the world. But is such paranoia purely psychological? Is it not also in some ways justified, a survival mechanism? But moreover, can my creepiness be used strategically to reveal the structures and values that makes some lives less livable, put the question another way. How can I creep without being creepy? For we have pathologized some forms of creepiness that are really more about curiosity and the desire to make connections, attributes and proclivities that are worth cultivating. At the very least, I understand from even just telling these stories that so much of my own creepiness was given to me in part through my queerness and the lingering associations between creepiness and homosexuality, but also because of the intense homophobia with which I grew up, cultivating within me feelings of fear and self-loathing that made me hide, made me look as though I had something to hide, that made me seem creepy. Still, I sensed the need to Defend my creepiness to offer something of an apologia, even if it's a thing this creepiness more given to me than cultivated, but wait i I know that's not entirely accurate to this day i- I carry within me that sense of creepiness that profoundly shapes my expression of desires. What do I like? I like the furtive thing, the somewhat covert expression of desire. The subtle glances, catching an eye, but turning away, wondering if I was found out. I get turned on by secrets, but I somehow want to be caught. There's a doubleness here. The covert and coded fascinate me because of that doubleness. The need to hide, but also the itch to reveal a secret I remember changing for P.E. and the kid next to me, someone I barely knew, started complaining about the school's uniform requirement. He seemed particularly upset that the coaches had dictated to us what kinds of underwear were and were not acceptable. Briefs, not boxers. Jock straps, even better. We were 15, maybe 16, and I kept looking a slant at him while we both quickly changed. Skinny legs sticking out of the required white briefs. To this day, I'm somewhat aroused by this exchange. Was he trying to communicate something to me, talking about his underwear? A normal boy wouldn't think so, I'm sure. But since normal boys seem to have no trouble communicating with one another, then surely those of us not normal needed some kind of cue to exchange information, register interests, to connect. I'll never know. But the sheer possibility wrapped in the covert excited me. Many young queers today can come out, can more readily identify one another, but but that just wasn't true of those of us growing up in less enlightened areas just a few decades ago. In all of my educational experiences, through the completion of my PhD at twenty five years of age, I never, never met an openly gay teacher. Some were surely gay. I know now some were. But precisely the lack of disclosure and the necessity of signaling either interest or identity in some other way has indelibly marked the discursivity of my own desires, how I understand them, how, how I enact them, how they are to me. So... I've played out the fantasy of that boy in the changing room a million times, wondering if the man I'm talking to is trying to tell me something. If we could slip away somewhere secretly and do our thing, returning to the light of day different, but not recognized, except to each other. Indeed, I enjoy the little things that must remain little that perhaps have more significance because they must remain so. I'm sitting in a Pete's early this morning, writing, but also scoping out the boys in their gym shorts, looking for a little caffeinated rush before hitting the gym. Do they suspect the little thrill they give me? (laughs) At my age, surely, it's a little rush, more a tickling in my own briefs. But I squirm in my upholstered booth nonetheless, massaging something that still seems alive, even vital after all these years, a deep-down thing. But the covert never remains just so. Take this boy I run across, for instance. Walking across campus, I nearly strut, feeling my power. I have become aware of how I stare people down, feeling the pleasure in eyes averted. A student I know tangentially, someone who has approached me without much success, seems weasley as he passes by me, afraid to gesture in recognition, his lowered eyes darting quickly left to right. Perhaps I won't see him if he doesn't make eye contact. Indeed, I learned early to be a predator, a nearly clichéd trajectory for one so often a victim. We become our experiences. But my predation is generally harmless, just a fleeting creepiness at the corners, or a creepy conversation that happens only in my own mind. At the very least, I've been damaged enough by others that not only am I covert, but I'm always watching them carefully, wondering when they might strike next, wondering how I might strike First. Watching others is surely an activity that can border on creepiness, and I have already admitted to surreptitiously sort of, taking quick snaps of guys' butts. Just on the subway today, coming back home from visiting a colleague in Hollywood, I'm standing next to a young guy, buff, cute in a rough trade way, muscle, shirt, backwards, baseball cap, khaki, shorts that hug his tight ass, I stand behind him so he can't see me ogle him. I take out my phone, pretending to check messages, but (laughs) who am I kidding? There's no connectivity underground. I snap 10, 15 pictures of this guy's ass. It's almost like I can't help it. And then I'm reversing the camera to take pictures of myself. Now, to be fair, I take more selfies throughout the day than anything else, obsessively checking the cleanliness of my nose. And I don't frequently take pictures of other people without them knowing. But I do, often enough, and I go back and forth, snapping pics of the cute and unsuspecting, more often than not, just their asses. And then my own face, back and forth, ass and face. And then at home, before I leave for work, I'll snap a few of my own ass, sometimes in my briefs, sometimes my khaki-clad butt, Checking myself out in the mirror, a late Lacanian mirror stage, and I wonder, what am I doing? Am I real enough? Do I have a perfect body? What the hell am I doing here? It's a complicated creepiness fetishizing these pics of my own and strangers' asses, looking at them throughout the day, visual mantras that give me a little charge that seem a bit dangerous to check out with others in the room, thinking I'm checking messages, responding to texts. I creepily queer my day this way, introducing a bit of the erotic, the auto-erotic, into a departmental meeting, a lunch with a colleague, a walk from building to building. (laughs) Indeed, I confess, perhaps the creepiest thing I do is my covert snapping of pictures of guys. Standing in line or walking through a mall, it's all too easy to take out your phone, looking as though you are responding to a message or declining a call, when in fact you are taking a photo of a body part that has attracted your attention, snagged your gaze. I love the little bit of underpants peeking out of the top of low-riding shorts. I feel myself constantly on the hunt for such sightings. Yesterday I caught a bit of waistline briefs or maybe boxer briefs. Champion brand. I passed by the young man sitting bent over his laptop, and then I passed by again, catching another glimpse of his grey shorts. Champion. An inexpensive brand, perhaps a working boy, or not someone who cares much about the brand of underwear he buys and wears, probably not lingering over the packages like I do, imagining how such underwear will make me feel as I walk through the world in it. I sound like a fetishist, and so... So I am. Underwear fascinates me. Ever since I was a kid and saw bits of it sticking out of guys' pants, I eagerly look for those signs of the hidden, those pieces that snuggle against the privates, the additional layering keeping us from one another, protecting. My personal trainer wears Under Armour, a fun brand that hugs the skin. He probably wears it because it wicks away sweat from the body, keeping him dry and clean. But the name alone, Under Armour, suggests a need to protect the goods inside, with an added gesturing toward suiting up to do battle. But I still hear the slipperiness of Armour into Amour, the phallic package and curving buttocks sheathed in clothes that safeguard them, but also that show them off, inviting touch. Stroking, caressing, fondling. Okay, I creep myself out because I imagine, but never touch. Unless one counts the admittedly invasive, covert photographing. Is that a form of touching? Maybe what's creepy is just my following and not following through and making the pass, asking for the fuck. My creepy behavior strikes me as insufficiently goal-oriented. And maybe that's the problem. I walk around admiring men's behinds, even collecting images, rarely ever with the faces. But images, nonetheless, of their body parts and admiring them at my leisure, and none of them know. People find such behavior creepy that I am having thoughts about strangers without them knowing, that I am creeping on them without them recognizing my creeping but doesn't that define the nature of our intersubjectivity, of our mutuality on this planet? We creep on each other all the time, wondering about each other's lives, imagining what it's like to be someone else. At least it seems to me that that's what you do if you're not completely and narcissistically self-absorbed and are in any way remotely interested in the lives of other people. Granted, not everyone creeps like I do, and I admit that I perhaps take my creepiness a step or two further than most. I remember following a young man around a museum. He he was gorgeous, in short, tight khaki shorts and a tight black t-shirt, his mop of hair begging for a hand to reach out and pull his head back a bit, revealing his pouty lips and full eyes. I never got close enough to see the color of them, but but no matter. I enjoyed following him around, alone, wandering from room to room of modern art. What was he thinking as he stopped before a work of art? Was he admiring it? Was he wondering what the hell the artist was thinking? The ever-receding doubleness of the experience increased my interest, me wandering while wondering what— was he wondering about what an artist was imagining as he worked with those oils, as she arranged these items. But is this a receding or a coming closer? Surely I could have sidled up to him and engaged him in conversation, but how many times have I or you or any of us done that and been greeted with some skepticism or even shock? It's hard to approach strangers. It's creepy if you don't do it just right. So maybe it's a little safer to creep and wonder, moving along with another human, trying to walk, if not in his shoes, at least near them, in his footsteps. The act of imagination here is what's important to me. Certainly, I snapped a pic of his cute little butt, the deliciously jutting curve of his behind answered by him raising his hand to his head, scratching an itch, or a fumbling toward a question with which any of us might identify. What next? Why am I here? What the hell am I doing here? I know I'm not the only one taking such covert pictures, and I'm sometimes creeped out myself by the thought of people taking such pictures of me, though I hope they do. I'd be a little disappointed if no one ever did. i put on my tight gym shorts and tight black t-shirt and go get a coffee sitting down to write this story, and I hope that the hipster barista is checking out my ass as I walk away with my $4 coffee. I suspect he's not, but I have caught some glances at times. I totally wear these shorts because they are eye-catching, perhaps because they're going to draw the eyes of that barista even if he doesn't want to look. (laughs) Maybe that's even creepier than I really want to be, (laughs) or not. I recognize my male privilege in wearing clothing that's gaze-attracting, even as I can feel somewhat safe in my skin, knowing I'm not likely to be raped or attacked. But at times, I do feel the gaze as potentially hostile, and I wonder if the tightness in my shorts is perhaps just a little too snug. Am I asking for too much attention, and is the attention I'm getting not the kind I would want? That, after all, is the source of so much creepiness, unwanted attention, and yet I'm willing to take the risk in attracting it. You can meet some interesting people through it, have some chance encounters, however small or fleeting or consequential. I think of Sam Delaney writing at length in his critical memoir, Times Square Red, Times Square Blue, about creeping on the poor and working class in old Times Square pre-Giuliani. He'd given them money for blowjobs, sure, but he also claims to have met some wonderful friends, folks he otherwise wouldn't have met, I, I don't pursue sexual exchanges the way he did. But I do at times get compliments, get a comment on my computer bag or my tattoo. Granted, not all attention is the attention I want, and the older women who scope me out don't creep me out, but I also don't encourage their stares. It's just not what I want. But I accept that that's part of the deal. You present yourself, and you understand that people will look. I'm looking too. The most interesting creeping I've experienced was once, when sitting in a pizza parlor waiting for my slice to be heated up, a young guy comes in to make an order. Just the kind of boy I like, standing straight up, his khaki shorts hugging his behind. I pretended to check messages on my phone, and snapped a pic of his cute little ass. When I focused in on the picture later, zooming in and out to admire the curves of his glutes, I noticed another young man, slightly behind and to the side, looking straight at me, taking a picture of this young man. I was totally creeped out. Did he catch me creeping? Did he know what I was doing? Or was he creeping me, not knowing at all that I was creeping this other young man? I'll never know. But I return to this picture often wondering what he's thinking. He's totally cute, a bearded hipster with glasses. But beyond his physical appearance, what I love about him is his willingness to spy on me, his interest. If I'd known he was there, if I hadn't been as distracted by the other boy's ass, I might have looked back and smiled. Maybe or maybe not. And this perhaps is the limit of creepiness. My creepiness and the creeping of others tells me that we are curious, but afraid. We look, but don't often want to touch. And I generally don't want to touch, that is. I'm not predatory in this way. I'm not looking for a sexual conquest. And when I'm creeped upon, I don't think others are necessarily thinking about sexually engaging me. Instead, I think we are intrigued. But we also decline to make contact. Is this a failure? Am I holding back? Oh, totally. I don't want you to know how much of a creep I really am. Or we might get close, we might become friends, and then you might hurt me. Then again, in my own creepy way, perhaps the creepiest thing I can do is leave you wondering why you've listened this far. Why you've invested this much time in my thinking about my own creepiness. You have been listening to Creep, the podcast. You can find the original book, Creep, A Life, A Theory, An Apology, at its publisher's website, punctumbooks.com. For more information about this podcast and other books related to Creep, check out www.thecreeptrilogy.com. This podcast is directed and produced by Hai Truong. It is narrated by me, Jonathan Alexander. Thank you for listening.